over the next five weeks, hopefully, we'll find out a little bit about what it means. Um, and in future weeks, next four weeks, we're going to be talking about peace in our homes, peace in our lives, peace in our relationships, and finally, peace in ourselves. Although in many ways, that's probably where it should start. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll finish with the beginning. Um, and today, I'm going to be talking about uh, peace in our world. Um, so uh, I'll start with James, the, the book of James, um, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And that statement about the word peacemakers is an echo of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount where he says very famously uh, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God and really peacemaking is what I want to sort of look at kind of today Um, and in the dictionary peace is often defined as the absence of something so it's freedom from disturbance or on a global level the absence of war. And given the current news, um, it seems appropriate to talk about peace, um, given the war in Ukraine and the events in Israel and Gaza. Um, And with the images that we see and the news that we hear and the constant social media attention and the people on one side, people on the other, everyone disagreeing, it's easy to become depressed about the state of the world, um, and worried about where it might or, or might lead. Um, and so as is my want in, in a time of worry, I turned to my source of sustenance, which is Wikipedia. Um, and uh, I started reading up on various theories about global peace um, and how best that we as, as human beings uh, can achieve it. So uh, there are a number of theories, uh, and who wants to hear the theories on how we achieve... Jeannie, thank you. Anyone? Two people, three people, more. Anyway, whether you like it or not, it's, it's coming. But if you aren't interested, this is the moment to take out your phones and uh, check. Oh, no, don't do that, because then you'll be checking the news, and then... Oh, no, 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 don't do that. So uh, anyway, the theories on global peace, and they generally, there are lots of theories on how we achieve global peace. And, uh, but they, generally speaking, fall into four main categories. Money, politics, history, and military. So money is the first one. And this is the belief that capitalism, free trade, and economic development will lead inexorably towards peace. So this comes in various parts. So one is that the desire to fight each other is replaced by the desire to make money. So one sin is replaced with another. Um, So the second option is that as we become more economically dependent on each other, so as countries become more and more dependent on each other, it makes it harder to go to war because kind of everyone is economically better off if if there's peace. Effectively, you go to war with someone, you you cut off one of your limbs because you, you know, as we're finding in the Ukraine at the moment, you know, who knew before the war that Ukraine provided so much wheat to the world? Um, Three, um, so no country has the resources to fight a war on its own. 
So that discourages countries from even trying. And four, as economies improve, kind of populations become happier and therefore there is less unrest within countries and between countries. So that's, that's money. That's, you know, if we encourage capitalism, if we encourage uh, stronger economies and free trade, then all of that will result in, in less war. Theory number one. Theory number two is politics. Uh, this is the theory that uh, democracy... In fact, you often hear it said that no, kind of, there has been no war between two democracies. It's not true, um, but you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good statement. So it, it's, 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 it's mostly true. Um, there have been lots of wars but started by democracies against others, but we won't go into that at the moment. Um, so the theory is that more democracy leads to more peace. Um, and it's all about the development of stable borders. So if you have security with your borders, you're more likely to develop democracy, and that's more likely to develop peace. Um, and there is no doubt that a lot of wars are caused by territory and borders and, and land. History is the third category. So this is the, the Marxist or communist theory, which is that history has a direction of travel. Um, and there's currently an imbalance between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, and to correct that, there will need to be a revolution. Um, however, once that revolution... So that's obviously is war. That's not terribly peaceful. But once the revolution has occurred, there will be equality and unity, and therefore everyone will be happy, and there will be no need for war. Now, weirdly, the Christian analysis probably also falls within this broad category of history, but in a very, very different way, because it's not based on revolution, but on revelation. The book of Revelation, which says that peace will be ushered in with the second coming of Jesus. The fourth, fourth uh, theory of peace is military. Uh, and this has two elements. The first one is that if you have one country in control, no one else dares rock the boat for fear of, for, of overwhelming repercussions. So this existed at the time of Jesus, actually. So that was during a period that was known as the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. Because Rome dominated such a huge area and kept peace within those borders, uh, that was known as the Peace of Rome. And it was this Peace of Rome that enabled Paul and the other early missionaries to go huge distances, geographical distances, to spread the word of God. So, in fact, you know, the Pax Romana is, is one reason why the church was able to uh, be birthed and spread quite so quickly. Um, now, that was Rome. In, in more recent decades, we've had a similar position. Well, And in the 19th century, Britain fulfilled that role. Um, not necessarily terribly well, but we, we did fulfill it. Um, and in recent decades, we've had a similar position with, with the U.S. So the, the, the U.S. Strategic Air Command that is responsible for bombers and intercontinental ballistic missiles, do you know what their motto is? Peace is our profession. Exactly. <laughs> That's their motto. But it's peace through strength. You put the fear of God into the rest of the world, and they will behave, and that will be peace. Um, so the second element to this military um, theory of peace is simply the nuclear bomb, mutual assured destruction. Because more than one side ha now has the nuclear bomb, no one is going to be foolish enough to start a war for fear that it might escalate into something which destroys all of us. Um, so that's another theory. Now, you may be listening to all of this whilst inwardly scoffing and saying, all these theories 
are nice, yet we still have war. But, and I just want to put this into some sort of historical context, the reality is that the world is much safer place now than it was. Um, Steven Pinker, the kind of uh, the Harvard University psychologist, um, has written a lot about this, and he has his critics, I'm well aware that he has his critics, but the essence of what he says is, I think, kind of correct. So, for example, let's look at the world just one, this, this is a history lesson, and I do apologise. I'm going to the rest is history, uh, kind of a road show tomorrow, so history is on my mind. Um, so let's look at the world just 100 years ago. Uh, so 1923, which is the blink of an eye um, in, in historical terms. So 1923, that was five years after the end of World War I, in which around 20 million people had died, both soldiers and civilians. Uh, the Russian Civil War ended in June 1923, and in that war, another 10 million people had died. Um, elsewhere, in 1923, a period of, of, that is known as sort of a peace between the two world wars, but in 1923, there were military operations in Morocco, Transjordan, India, Ireland, obviously the Irish Civil War, um, Paraguay, Persia, Iraq, Brazil, Yemen, Afghanistan, Corfu, Panama, Mexico, Bulgaria, Greece, the United States, Germany, Lithuania, and Libya. And these were called variously wars, rebellions, civil wars, insurgencies, incidents, incidents, um, revolts, revolutions, uprisings, separatist activity, putsches, coup d'etats, and in one case, rather ominously, pacification. Because we all know what pacification means. Making peace means utter suppression. Um, and within a few years of 1923, we have the Spanish Civil War and the Chinese Civil War, uh, and followed by the daddy of them all, World War II, in which, depending on where you look, between 60 million and 80 million people would die. And on a personal note, it was only kind of as I was writing this that the penny dropped that my grandparents all lived as teenagers during World War I, and my parents lived as teenagers during World War II. Um, and my generation and subsequent generations, we obviously have our own issues, but I am so grateful that I did not spend my teenage years in a time of World War. Um, there are three elements when one analyzes war, frequency, duration, and lethality, which I'm not sure is a word, uh, but lethality. Um, how often, how long, and how bad. Um, and over the period from 1945 to the year 2020, all of these graphs show a decline. So they become, wars become less frequent, they become shorter, and they become less deadly. And this is not an accident, because huge practical efforts have been made towards peace. The Geneva Conventions in the late 19th century, the League of Nations was formed after the First World War, which encouraged self-determination and human rights. Then you have, after the Second World War, you have the United Nations, you have international law, you have the International Court of Justice, you have, and on kind of financial terms, you have the International Monetary Fund and the World Trade Organization and the World Bank. And more than that, war is now illegal. It wasn't in the past, but it is now illegal. It can only be done in self-defense or with UN sanction. And that is very different from the position in the 19th century, 
when, frankly, everyone went to war at the drop of a hat and it was fine. Um, or even the position before the Second World War. And by and large, so you note it, even when there are sorts of military operations nowadays, there's usually an attempt to justify them by saying uh, kind of it's, it's self-defense or, you know, so the Iraq war was done on the basis that there were weapons of mass destruction. It was a self-defense. It was something which we had to do. It was regrettable, but it was a necessary measure. Now, in the past, no one would have needed to justify going to war, whereas nowadays... We do feel that. There is a change in the, in the mentality of humanity. Um, and furthermore, most of the world is at peace. The Americas, the southern, famously there are no wars in the Western Hemisphere of, of the world. Um, the southern half of Africa, Western Europe, much of Asia, Australasia. And there are very, very few times in history that you could say that. And that is why the Ukraine war was such a shock. Everyone believed that those days were over. They were behind us. Um, but obviously, as a result of those wars, the, the graphs, you know, the graphs on how often, how bad, how long, have all started to go up again. And as I stand here today, there are conflicts in the Ukraine, in Libya, in Syria, in Yemen, and of course, in Israel and Gaza. And there's also the risk of wider terrorism kind of just about everywhere. And now who knows whether these events will lead to something worse or whether they are just a blip in the, in the, the long-term trend towards a world without war. And I'm hopeful that they are just a blip. Although Jesus said this in a very different time and in a very different context, his words still ring true. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it, that you are not alarmed. And I think it's important that even as we watch the news and see the horrific things that have been done and are being done and will be done, that we are not alarmed. But I want to ask a further question, which is, we started out by saying that the dictionary definitions of peace are negative. Peace is simply the absence of war. But is peace actually more than that? Because almost all countries in the world, even those that have, are at peace and have been at peace with their, neighboring, with their neighbors for decades, nonetheless feel the need to have an army. There are very, very few countries that have no military presence, the most famous of which being Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Absolutely, which has no army. Um, but the Vatican City, you'd be pleased to hear, also doesn't have an army. Um, and a number of South Pacific islands. Um, because it's still possible for, for one country to hate another, but yet not go to war. And we live in a world where cyber warfare is now as important as physical warfare. Where you have state-sponsored misinformation on social media. Where polarized thinking on almost every social issue forces people apart rather than together. So we may not be killing each other with guns, but neither are we at peace. And this lack of peace filters down from geopolitics, so the politics of countries, different countries, into internal politics, into the office place, and into families. And nowadays we use the phrase toxic to describe this lack of peace. 
We talk about toxic environments, toxic atmospheres, and toxic relationships. As such, going back to the concept of peacemaker, the role of peacemaker is as important now as it has ever been. So my question for you today is this. Do you want to be a peacemaker in this world? Which brings me back to James 3 and Matthew 5. So James 3 says, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And I want to stop for a moment and consider that last one. Um, This is not, you'd be pleased to hear, a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. But it is important to consider what Jesus means when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. The phrase, blessed are the peacemakers, is, as many of you will be aware, part of the Beatitudes, which consists of a series of sentences starting with the words, blessed are. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and so on. And there are eight of these phrases. And one analysis that I've read of the Sermon on the Mount says that this is simply a list of contents of the subsequent sermon. So there are eight Beatitudes, and the subsequent sermon is split into eight sections, each one of which relates back to one of the Beatitudes, albeit in reverse order. Um, I repeat, this isn't a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, so we don't have an opportunity to check whether that is valid and, and kind of go into the details. But if it is, the beatitude that we are interested in, so blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God, is linked to Matthew five twenty-one to 26, which I will now read. You have heard it said, so you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which is a term of contempt, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar first, Go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So that's the section which is linked to blessed are the peacemakers. Can you see the links there? that Jesus is drawing between being a peacemaker and the things that he's saying about do not murder. Um, I want to draw out four points. The first one is when Jesus says, but I tell you anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. So if we want to be peacemakers, we need to be very careful with anger, particularly when that anger is directed against someone else. If you want to be a peacemaker, it starts with you. It starts with an inner peace. And that's, as I've mentioned earlier, is a topic that we'll be talking about later in the series. The second point is, Jesus says, anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And if we want to be a peacemaker, we need to be careful with what we say 
and what we do. Do not allow your anger or any other thing to tempt you into saying or doing something that dehumanizes someone else, that treats them as an other, that is contemptuous of them, that somehow implies that they are less loved by God than you are. Peacemaking involves a respect for other humans, even ones that you disagree with or you think their views are abhorrent or you simply don't like on a personal level. The third point, Jesus says, first go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. If you want to be a peacemaker, you must think, is there, am I aware of anything that is broken in any of my relationships? And if there is, I need to sort it out. And note that Jesus says, if you are aware of something that your brother has against you. In other words, this is a section where, kind of for whatever reason, someone has something against you. Um, and Jesus says, if you're aware of that, go and sort it out. Peacemaking involves making the first move, taking the initiative. And reconciliation, Jesus is saying, is more important than ritual or worship. Four, Jesus says, settle matters quickly with your adversary. And I feel that this relates to something where we have done something wrong. So we have done something wrong to someone else. And as Dallas Willard makes clear, it does not mean that we simply give in, simply because someone has made an accusation. But if we have done something wrong, then we need to seek ways to compromise. We do so with hosti- without hostility, without bitterness, or without the merciless desire to win. Peacemaking involves apologizing, making responsible decisions in love and genuinely committed to the other person's well-being. So peacemaking involves being at peace with oneself, respecting other human beings in what we say and do, taking the first step in reconciliation, and when you've done something wrong, apologizing and making recompense. As Paul says in Romans 12, 17, he says, Do not repay evil with evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I'm sure we will expand upon all of these points, or at least some of these points, in the coming weeks. So what I'm saying is, come back next week for more. Um, But I hope we can see, begin to see, and this will be kind of come out more and more in the next four weeks, that peace is not just the absence of something, whether that's war on a global basis or unease on a personal basis or disturbed relationships. So it's not just the absence of something. Peace is a positive quality. Indeed, in Galatians, it's listed as one of the fruit of the Spirit. It is part of that magnificent spectrum of qualities that constitute holiness. And peace is a quality of God. In Isaiah 9, there is a prophecy which is applied to Jesus, in which he is described as the Prince of Peace. And in Romans and elsewhere, Paul describes God the Father as the God of Peace. Peace is at the very heart of the gospel. And perhaps that helps us to understand what bring it all to peace actually means. It means that we should be people 
who bring peace wherever we go. And we do so by encouraging people to bring their problems to the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bring peace to our lives. Not just a peace which is the absence of uh, distress or anxiety or all those things, Lord, but a peace which is a positive quality, a peace which flows from us to others. Lord, that we are peacemakers. Lord, help us to seek to share that peace with all those we meet until the day that the peace giver returns. Amen.